Well, today we're going to dig into one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8, because I think Romans chapter 8 can show us how to persevere in shattering circumstances. Last week we dug into the book of Job and it was so helpful, right? Job showed us something we weren't sure is okay. How do you start? How do you respond initially? Is it okay to do that? Can I do that? Oh, we dug into Job and saw how God invites us to voice and express our anguished trust when we face shattering circumstances, to lay hold of him and tell him. Actually, he wants you to tell him how hard and dark and confusing it is. Because the longer you just try to pretend and stuff it all in, the less likely you will be able to persevere in the long run. And it's not about how you start. It's not about your initial response. Life is really all about continuing, is it not? How do I keep going? How do I keep going? I've got great news for you. Today we're gonna look at what else God has given us to help us persevere, persevere. And to do so, I'm actually going to, we're going to go to Romans 8, but this might surprise you. We're going to look at what I think are the most neglected verses in this famous favorite chapter. Oh, it's a favorite chapter, but not usually for these verses. Most people don't recall these verses. Turn with me to Romans 8, and you follow along in your Bibles as I begin reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. When did that groaning begin? Genesis 3, when sin shattered God's original perfect design. The entire creation has been groaning together since then. Oh, but here's what we need to realize, verse 23. And not only the creation, sometimes we think, but once I get saved, I'll just be happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You've got a down payment. You've got the Spirit of the living God in you. You're engaged. Jesus loves you. Your bridegroom's preparing a place for you. But even though you've got that engagement ring and you have the Spirit, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, 
as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Skip to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is, say the next two words, for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so here's what I want to do as we get started. <clears throat> I want you to get the big picture of this passage before we even dig into any of the particulars. And it's this. Here's the big picture. There are three standout words that are woven back and forth through this passage that hold it all together. And is that not what we need when we've been shattered and are falling apart? Is there anything to hold on to? Is there anything I can count on? Is there, any, is there any handhold, a place to grip so that I could go on? That's what he's giving us. He says, oh, yes, yes, here it is. Hoping, waiting, groaning, hoping, waiting, Groaning, he uses the word hope six times. Wait three times and groan three times. And so I want you to see how Paul is describing a threefold cord that God gives his children that they can hold on to, to keep going, to persevere in shattering circumstances. Oh, it's great to know that initially you can say, this is hard, it's dark, it's confusing, it seems unfair, it doesn't seem right. But, but if that's all we had, oh my goodness, we have that, and then we see, oh, he's given us more. He's given us more to enable us to persevere in the midst of, because I hope you realize probably don't need to tell you this if you've lived long enough when you face shattering circumstances normal isn't usually coming back the way it was is not coming back so what do I have in the midst of where I am now what do I have that can enable me to persevere hoping waiting groaning. But now, if you're here or you're listening online, any of the campuses today, and you're not a Christian, I am so glad that you're with us. Thank you. You're our special guest. I love it. I love it that you're here with us. But 
I want you to understand something if you're not a Christian because I don't want you to walk out today confused or with wrong expectations. And here it is. Apart from the grace of God and the work of Christ, Jesus, in your life personally, it's gotta be in your life personally, all you will ever, ever have or feel or be aware of is the groaning part all by itself. Because groaning is the only one of the three that we start off with innately from birth by nature. We groan. Nobody has to tell us to groan, right? Nobody has to say and teach you, oh, that was hard. You ought to groan. That didn't seem fair. You ought to groan. That shouldn't happen in a world like this. You ought to groan. Nobody has to tell us. We get the groaning part. Everybody gets the groaning part. What everybody does not have until you have Jesus in your life for yourself personally is the hoping, waiting part. It's only the grace of God through the Son of God living in you that gives you this kind of hope we're gonna dig into and the ability to wait, which by the way, that word wait simply means we know something better is coming. The, the biblical word wait doesn't mean I'm waiting. Wait looks like this. It's a posture of leaning in, anticipating, because we know this world's not it. There's more, there's more, there's promises, there's promises, there's more. But you don't get, and so in other words, wow. If you've ever thought, this is so hard, this is so hard, this is so hard. Yeah, it really, really is. Until you know Jesus personally, you don't have a threefold cord. All you have is a frazzled, frayed, single strand of groaning that seems like it's about to snap on any given day because you groan alone. This passage is telling us what God does for us and in us when we come to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. So that leads to my first point, number one. This groaning that our passage is talking about is internal, universal. It's shared by all mankind, all over the world. You don't have to go to any, you can't go to any country. Even the best ones, I like reading articles. It's like you read things about Finland and Norway. Like when Finland found all this oil in the ocean, they were smart enough, they invested it. They invested it so that now every single Finn has millions of dollars. That's what they did. They invested it. And it's like, oh my, great country to live in, right? They still groan. You can have millions of dollars handed out by the, you're like, that would, I wouldn't groan. You would. Try me. Groan. Universal. 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 And get this, it grows louder and louder the older you get. It's not like I groaned in my early years. Now, oh my goodness, my groaning is loud. Why? You know more. 
You've seen more loved ones experience calamity in Christ. You've watched painful, awful things happen to so many people that you love dearly. The groaning only grows louder the older you get. It's not going to go away. It doesn't go away. In other words, if you're here and you're groaning, sometimes when you're young, you start to think, Wow, my life's actually really hard, and I groan. That makes me different. Everyone else has it so good. Let me help you. If you're here and you're groaning, it doesn't make you special. It just proves you're human. Because that's what people created in the image of God do. They groan, and here's why. They groan because they know things are not as they should be. They're not as they should be. It's not just Christians that think that and feel that. Every human being, something's not right. Something's not right with me. Something's not right with our world. Things seem so broken. Things seem so hard. Things seem so, that's good, but yeah, we know things are not as they should be. Here's what it is, you guys. Created in the image of God means we all have a faint but distinct Memory of paradise lost. You realize? You're born with this sense that I'm supposed to be experiencing something better and something bigger. We know there's something better and someone, it's actually not something bigger, but someone that's missing in our lives and our world. We were meant to have God with us in fellowship, knowing him, just like Often I see as people discover they're adopted, they long, right? No matter how good their parents are that God has given them, they long to know and find and connect with their biological father or mother. That is us in this world. We have this longing and this ache and this sense that I have a father God. I don't know. We groan. We know there's something better and someone bigger that is missing in the mix here. You think about it. Even with unbelievers, believers and unbelievers can share in some causes, right? You don't have to twist their arms to say sex trade's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, not distributing food evenly. There's no reason for countries to have children starving. Unbelievers get it. They have an awareness of this. Something's wrong. Off. We groan. We groan. We groan over miscarriages and death and war and racism and ethnic cleansing and abuse and cancer and chaos and calamities and so much more that takes place in a fallen, broken world because we know, we have this faint awareness, we came from something better and we should be moving towards something better. We just don't know what, what, what. And so the question I want to ask you is not, are you groaning? Are you groaning today? Oh, no. Question I have for you is what do you do with all the groaning? How do you cope? Where do you turn for help? Who do you look to for help with your groaning? And that leads to my second point. Number two, our response to this universal innate groaning. Oh, 
is all over the map. All over the map, depending on where you go looking for help. Inside this world or outside of this world. In our own human resources and the best that men and women can come up with. Or supernatural help from above. Sadly, it's heartbreaking. But sadly, most men and women go looking for it here. And here's what's even sadder. The world doesn't say, oh, we don't know. We don't know. Don't come to us. Don't ask us. Oh, it's worse than that. They say they do know. Oh, it's this. It's this, especially in America. Oh, if you go looking for help in our world, you will be offered dozens and dozens of solutions with new ones being cranked out by the minute. Oh, the number of books and blogs and podcasts and personal testimony referrals. Watch this. We'll keep you chasing and then changing the path you're on for a lifetime. All the while saying, I don't feel like I've really found something that actually helps. Now, here's why. Often what the world offers as a solution can help a little. Guess what? And then will cause a new problem. Can you drink to excess alcohol so that you're numb and you do not think about the groaning? Sure. And now you're wrecking relationships around you. You might lose your job. You ruin your liver. Whole new set of problems that are part of this so-called solution. I could go right down the list. What the world offers often comes at a cost with a brand new problem. And so people just chase and change, chase and change. And here's what's sad about the world. They tend to go at it with great enthusiasm. Oh, this is it right here. Never before. Expert show. Now we know. And here's what I think is interesting. Without apology in no time at all, they say, oh, not that, but this. Wait a minute, you wrote a whole bunch of books on this, all the blogs were this, everyone was saying this. I know, but that's not it, this is it. Not this, but that. Not that, but this. And sometimes they circle all the way back around to where we began. If you live long enough, it's like, we've seen this before, just like skinny ties. Oh, wow, hang on to them, it's coming back. (laughs) Same way with solutions. Ecclesiastes said, nothing, what under the sun? New. You'll spend a lifetime chasing and changing the path that you're on, all the while staying incredibly frustrated that it doesn't seem like you've really found a real solution to the problem. You see, letter A, you can try to drown out this groaning with worldly distractions and human prescriptions. Because we live in a world that will provide you, especially in America, truckloads of both. But at the end of the day, none of it, none of it works. You still come up groaning. You still come up groaning. And here's the deal. I don't mean to depress you, but I do want you to see reality so that you'll be interested in the hope of Jesus. Here's what's going on. The groaning that you sense will not depart 
until Jesus returns or takes you home. I'm going to say something that's pretty raw, but it's right. Until you stop breathing, you won't stop groaning. You're like, I wish I'd stayed home, Brad. It's a rainy, slushy, snowy day. Like, ooh, thank you. Wow. Oh, listen, we're going to get to some hope here. But we never go to the right place until we truly understand the real deal on where we are. You're not going to stop groaning until you stop breathing. That's what the Bible actually teaches. So here's what the Bible offers. The Bible doesn't talk about how to stop the groaning. The Bible does tell us what you can add to it that changes the tone of your groan. It's not a hopeless, bitter, raw, disillusioned groan. Oh, it's a real groan. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh, it is a real groan. But the Bible talks about what we can add that changes the tone of our groan. There's no formula. There's no secret. There's no seven steps to no groaning. ABCs of losing the groan. Those are the books that sell really well. They just don't work. That's why there's another one and another one and another one and another one. The Bible gives a radically different approach to the problem of groaning. It doesn't tell us how to stop it, but how to embrace it and infuse it with hope. A word the Bible uses, by the way, 175 times from Genesis to Revelation. But stay with me. When the Bible talks about hope, it does not use the word the way we do. Wishful thinking. Well, I hope so. Oh, get this. And I meant to put it in your outline, but I, I, I left it out. So I'm going to say it twice. If you can, write fast. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of future blessing. And it's based on something. There's substance to it. Based on the character and promises of God. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not positivism. It's not Crystal Cathedral, Robert Schuller. It's not name it, claim it. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of future blessing based on, not my circumstances, based on now not how hard I can try, based on not my set of friends or my church, the character and promises of God. The Bible talks about adding Biblical hope and waiting, which in a sense just tips us in the direction of stop expecting everything you need to be found in this world. Stop thinking you got to get it all right because this is the only, you know, grab all the gusto. It's the only, no, 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 no. We believe in a world outside of this world. In fact, a world outside of this world that matters far more and will last far longer. This is a vapor. This is temporary. What's coming is timeless, is eternal, and is mind-blowing. Hoping, waiting. And so it's not how do you stop groaning, 
But how do you infuse it with hope? And the answer is found in a person. What's his name? Jesus Christ. Christ. Oh, letter B. Jesus can save you and change the tone of your groan. In other words, what the Bible actually teaches is that when Jesus comes into your life, my friends, he steps into your circle of pain. He steps into your circle of pain. And he groans with you, with you by his spirit, infusing it with hope so that you do not groan alone. You don't groan alone. Let me show you what this Jesus stepping into your life looks like. Jump back just a couple of chapters to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. What does Jesus in my life look like? Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That right there means when your biggest problem has been solved, you were separated from God, you were a sinner on your way to hell, there was nothing you could do to bridge the gap. There's nothing you could do to earn his favor. You could never work hard enough. You could never do enough good, but you've been justified. Notice what the word is. How did that happen? By what? Faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, you realize the waves around you, the chaos around you is, yes, very disturbing and is causing you to groan. But the biggest problem we have is an internal problem that there's a war and we're not at peace with God. And when you've been justified, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we've also obtained access by faith. Here's what happens. When he saves you and justifies you by faith, you now have access to something you never had access to before. And it's through Jesus, and it's really good, and it makes a difference in your groaning. We have obtained access by faith into this, what is it? Grace. And you realize grace is not just what saves you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You need grace, truckloads of grace to persevere and do life. And you have access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in, here's our word again, what? Hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces. So suffering is never wasted on the believer. God uses it sovereignly to do some incredible things in us that we desperately need to persevere in this world. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for people who were already pretty good in doing some of the right things. 
Christ died for who? Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Two of my favorite words in all the Bible. But God. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still we were still sinners when he did this. Sinners. Christ died for us. Now look at me just a minute. I know when we're in shattering circumstances, one of the things you're desperately wanting to know is, oh my goodness, does he love me? Does he love me? Why would this happen? What kind of God would let me? And we tend to want to see something right here, right now, fresh and new to prove it. I got to tell you, the Bible doesn't talk that way. Notice what he's saying. But God shows, present tense. If we had written this, we would have said God showed. God showed his love for us 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross. The reason it's not written that way by the Holy Spirit is God. God doesn't need to do anything else. There's not something better. There's not something bigger. You just keep looking back. How do I know he loves me? Oh, my goodness. He did that. He did that. He gave his own son. He gave his only son. But God shows his love for us. Shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is continually shown by that incredible act that solved our biggest problem. Shows, shows, shows. So let's talk about some of this hope what it looks like back in Romans 8 again. Jump over there. What does some of this hope look like then that we have in Christ as we stand in grace with a new standing, access into his presence? He's in the circle of our pain. He's with us. We're not orphaned. We're not isolated. Well, here's the first thing, number one. Paul wants you to know this. And if you know anything about the apostle Paul, did he suffer at all? Was his life easy peasy or was it hard? Read 1 Corinthians 11 and you'll say, oh dear me, shipwrecked, naked, cold, sleepless, beaten with rods three times, stoned, left for dead, hard, hard. And despite all that, he says in verse 18, your groaning pales in comparison with the glory that's coming. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, he doesn't say you won't suffer. He doesn't say it's not that bad. That would be wrong. He simply says the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want you to circle that word consider if you don't mind writing your Bible and I hope you don't because it's a key. The word consider is a key to learning how to groan right. The Greek word literally means calculate. It's an accounting term, calculate. And so what he's telling you and me is to draw a line down the middle of the page of your life. And then he says, oh yes, list everything hard. 
Sometimes we think the way to persevere is to airbrush this, tone it down, blow some sunshine into it and try to convince yourself it's not that bad. The Bible doesn't advocate that. Let awful be awful. List it in detail, in all of its gory detail. There's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this. Here's the problem. You're getting excited like, yeah, yeah. I do that, and I'm going to do that some more. We tend to just stay right here on this side of the ledger and review it every day. As soon as we wake up, as soon as another bad thing even bumps us, we're like, we just begin to review it. Review it. Oh, he says, don't dare stop. Get it. All of its gory detail. And guess what? The older you get, the list will grow. He didn't promise oh, you'll hit a certain point and then I'll protect you. Nothing else bad will happen. Hmm. But he says, don't dare stop here. Come over here and begin to list the glory of what's coming next. Now, some of you are already staring at me like squirrel looking at a dog. How are you going to, this is not hard to do. How are you going to be aware of this? And how is this going to become robust HD living color surround sound? Say it. What do you have to be doing? Oh, you got to read your Bible. The History Channel will not bring this. Fox News will not bring this. The NFL playoffs will not bring this. Your favorite Netflix series will not bring this. You've got to be reading your Bible continually, regularly, prayerfully, soaking in it, chewing on it, delighting in it so that this glory side gets bigger and bigger and brighter and bigger and bigger and bigger so that you keep in mind the suffering of this present Time and it's raw and real is not worth comparing to the glory that it, you need to keep learning who you are in Christ and what's coming your way. Who you are in Christ and what's coming your way. Who you are in Christ and that eternity as opposed to temporary vapor. Only the Bible puts this in perspective for me and I need it. I need it every day. My default setting is to swing to this side and obsess over it and just wallow in it. And so every morning, I open my Bible and he reorients me again. He reorients me. He reorients me. He pulls the lid off. Often, the suffering over here and all this gory detail just begins to shrink your world down. It's like, I can't even breathe in here. I know. Reading your Bible peels that cellophane off and lets you breathe like, oh, but there's more. This is not it. Right here, right now is not all there is. Not worthy to be compared, but there's more. Number two, he says, your groaning is no accident. It's not an accident, but is by design. You're like, what? We, yeah, what I mean is your groaning is not the result of some cold, godless random universe that just slammed into you with no rhyme or reason. That's not the world we live in. Oh, it feels like that, but we don't live by our feelings. Don't hear me saying I pretend I don't have feelings. That's not what I just said. 
You can acknowledge your feelings and still talk to your feelings and say, I hear you, but I'm not gonna let you rule me and dictate what I believe is true or think I can do next. Is that easy? No. Is it worth working on? Oh, yes. I don't have to live by my feelings. I don't stuff them. I voice them to God, but I don't let them rule me or dictate what I do next. Instead, I go with the truth of God's word, even when I don't feel, but I'm not feeling it. It's okay. Keep reading it until you do. Hold on to it until you do. Cry out to God and say, make this real to me. Fight your way into a new feeling by God's grace and his spirit in you. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, here's the big question, super important. Change this how you view what's going on. Who is the him being referred to there? That pronoun is referring to who? God. Our Father God, not Satan. Not some other created being. Our Father God. It's God himself that has subjected all of creation to a measure of futility. In other words, God says, I am still ultimately in control of where we are today and what's going on today. It's still part of my sovereign plan. Notice we're always just seeing a little slice. You've just not seen all of it. Because I have a greater, redemptive, hope-filled, glorious purpose for all of this. But right now, everything has been subjected to a measure of futility. That word futility means empty, hollow, ineffective, frustrating. Huh, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Don't you, doesn't that describe how you feel on a regular basis as you bump up against things in our world, as you traffic in things in our world that are supposed to be good? I thought marriage was good. Is marriage a good gift? Can it break your heart? Can it seem way harder than it? You're like, if this was God's idea, why is this so doggone hard? <laughs> Gee, my knee, what in the world? Right? Are children good? Can they break your heart? And can they scream all night long for three solid months to where you think, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my mind. Oh, my word. This is so hard. This is so, right? Everything in this world has been subjected to a measure of futility. And so that explains a lot. Oh, get this. From verse 20, you can see two things, two things that are inescapable and built right into the fabric of everything in our world right now. Two things that are inescapable and built right into the fabric of everything in our world. Futility and hope. Both. God says, I did both. I put both there. So look at the futility in verse 20, because it explains so much. In other words, what he's saying is there is a fundamental level of frustration that's built right into everything you try to do in this world. The best marriage, right? I know sometimes you think, oh, oh, if I just had Bob. Sometimes people are so silly as they say it in front of me in counseling. I wish my husband was like Bob. I'm also meeting with Bob and his wife. I'm like, you don't want Bob. 
Oh my goodness, stay with Ted. I know Ted's messy. Woo, Bob, you don't want Bob. They just don't know that. Everything looks better, right? Oh, the best marriage, the best. Vicky and I have a great marriage now, you guys, but we don't have a perfect marriage. The best marriage is still frayed at the edges and so quickly. Sometimes we get sideways and I'm like, oh my word, I thought we were beyond this girl. No, we're not beyond it. It just happened for real. Woo! The best marriage, the best kids, the best job, the best church, the best retirement plan, the best health scenario is still subjected to a measure of futility and frustration. Stay with me. That's not just in theory. It bleeds through on a regular basis in shocking and startling ways, right? You just think, oh my word, how did I get here with this friend? We used to be really good friends. Futility, 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 futility. And so I can't fix it for you, but sometimes it can be helpful when you just take a breath and let up. Stop expecting everything to be so great. This is Motel 6. We'll keep the light on. Right? You're staying in a cheap place. What you really want is coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So futility. There's a measure of futility. But don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear me saying God's cruel. He's a killjoy. He never wants us to enjoy anything. We ought to be shocked about how often we taste something amazing when you have a vacation that actually goes well and nobody throws up and nobody fights and the car doesn't break down. Hallelujah. When you have Christmas with extended family and no one said something that we'll remember forever that has shattered friendships, right? You're like, how did that happen in a fallen, broken world? Thank you, Lord. Oh, we still, he's not a killjoy. He's not cruel. But he did not design anything in this world, nor does he want it to actually fully satisfy you. You know why? He knows you and me. We would just hunker down and say, this is as good as it gets. I'm fine, thank you, God. I don't need you. And that's why the second thing you see in the verse is hope. Because this futility that is inescapable will not have the last word. God will have the last word. Because all of this frustration and pain and sorrow is temporary, time-bound, and preparatory for what's coming next. Here's the picture I would give you right here, right now. Your job, your home, our church, your friends. This is labor and delivery. We're in a labor and delivery room. We've had five kids. I've spent some time there. I'm grateful for how nice they make it now. I don't want to live there, right? The tubes, the IVs, the, we go there for something that's coming next that's so much better. Nobody wants to live in labor and delivery. And he actually tells us in verse 22 and 23, this right here, right now, this sinful, broken world is labor and delivery for what's coming next. Something glory, something's being birthed, something's coming. Look at it in verses 22 to 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. 
and not only the creation, but we who are the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly and we wait eagerly. We groan, we wait, we groan, we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Because, oh, there is an expiration date to all of this groaning. Say, thank you, Jesus. You're like, will we groan forever? No, you won't. Because we won't be in this world forever. There's an expiration date to this. And so we hope for it like an eager child holding her father's hand, standing on tiptoe, wide-eyed and waiting, wide-eyed and waiting. We trust him. We hope, we wait, we persevere. We hope, we wait, we groan, and we know we don't groan alone. But let me point out another reason for hope. Number three, if you're here and you're a believer, you never groan alone. Isn't that one of the hardest things about shattering circumstances? The feeling of isolation, the feeling that you've been cut off from people, the feeling that nobody understands and nobody truly gets the depth of my grief and sorrow and hurt and confusion. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes in certain moments, you may be in circumstances where it's absolutely true that no one, no human being gets it. I'll tell you who does. Your savior, Jesus, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who when he saved you, he didn't just step back and say, I'll pray for you. He steps into the circle of your pain and he groans with you and through you by his spirit so that you never groan alone. Look at it in verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We often feel weak for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God's spirit doesn't just groan with you. He groans through you. Making sense of your garbled, broken, confusing, fragmented prayers. This sometimes wouldn't make sense to a human being. There have been times that I've gotten down, I've been so shattered by something And it's usually someone dear to me and something that's happened to them. That when I've gotten on my knees to pray, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even make sense. And God the Father doesn't say, Brad, I need a subject, a verb, and a direct object. Because this is not making sense. You can't come like this. Get it together. Oh, oh, thank God it doesn't go down like that. Because of his spirit, your groan gets to his throne and is accepted by your savior, high priest, so that you never groan alone. Never groan alone. It gets to his throne. Garbled, fragmented, broken. There's times when you think, I don't even know how to pray. That's okay. Groan. Just groan. Just moan. Groan. And the spirit takes it to his throne and it is accepted. But let me quickly show you another reason for hope that's so good in this passage. Number four, his grace will meet you in the mess. That's what verse 31 and 32 are taught about. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who's against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what he's doing? You see what the Holy Spirit's doing? Because he gave, he will give and give graciously, freely. There's no limitation. There's no expiration date. There's no get back in line. Let some others have his attention in time. Because he gave, he will give. In fact, because he gave the best, he promises to give you the rest of what you need to persevere. This is not a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it verse. He will graciously give you exactly what you need to keep going. To keep going. Because he gave the best, he will give you the rest of the grace that you, and here's what I love that he's done. That phrase, graciously give, do you know what he's done? He's taken the Greek word for grace, charis. It's a noun, there's grace. And turned it into a verb. This is grace with feet on it. This is grace that is coming your way. This is grace on the move. In other words, he took charis and he, it's charizomai. In other words, it would not be wrong to say, turn grace into a verb, he's gonna grace you. He's gonna grace you. He's going to grace you. And here's where it gets really good. This is grace with feet on it that's coming your way. You do not have to go looking for him. He's already looking for you as his child and coming to you in the mess to grace you. To grace you. When your friend didn't text today, when your friend didn't do what you'd hoped, when you were disappointed by those you thought cared the most. Oh, listen, there's never a day that you have nothing. He's gracing you. Grace with feet on it. Grace with feet on it. Grace with feet on it. Oh, you might be curled up, inactive, overwhelmed, unable to move, but he'll come to you with his active, powerful, hope-filled, life-changing grace. Whatever you're going through today, I don't have a secret to stop the groaning. We do have Romans 8. Oh, you don't want to just have the frazzled, frayed, single little thread of groaning. It'll snap at some point. Oh, here's what we have. Weave around it hoping and waiting because you have a savior, living, risen, suffering, grief-oriented savior in the circle of your pain with you, with you, with you, so that you can hold on, so that you can hold on, so that you can go on. As we close, let me, sometimes we think, well, there's promises, there's stuff he's promised, and we just have to like, ah, folks, the Bible, you realize we've got places where we get a glimpse of what he's promised? Let me show you the fulfillment of some of what Romans 8 is promising. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And I want you to see the fulfillment of some of what Romans 8 is promising. And let's stand together as we close in honor of this glorious passage. Standing with me as I read it. Revelation 21. Then I saw, oh, he's going to use a word. Isn't this what we know? Nothing in this world is truly new. It's just warmed up, nuked, reworked, tweaked. There's some stuff coming that's what you really want that's new. Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, here's what we're missing. Here's what we long for. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What's the first thing he's gonna do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me It is, say it, done. What we long for, ache for, groan for is coming and it will be done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life. Oh, this is like nothing else in this world. Without payment. What you really want, money can't buy. What you really want, our world can't give you. But Jesus is willing to give it to you freely because he paid the price with his life to give you what matters most, himself. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for adding to our groan, hoping and waiting because of a savior that lives in us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for direct access to your throne. Thank you for access into this grace in which we now stand. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.